Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John Kaplan here with my good friend, five-time CRO and author of the wildly successful book, The Qualified Sales Leader, John McMahon. Johnny, how are you this morning? I'm really good this morning, Cap, and I'm very excited to have our guest on today. I'm, it's going to be a really good one. Yeah, I we're we're really looking forward to this conversation today and to share the story of Sarah Delagarde. She's a living miracle, and her story is one of resilience and filled with lessons for all of us. Sarah is the global head of communications at Janice Henderson. Janice Henderson is a leading global active asset manager with 250 billion assets under management. She's responsible for corporate brand visibility, public affairs, media relations, employee and senior leadership communications, change communications, and social media. She heads up a global team spread out through the states, the UK, EMEA, and APAC. Sarah's based in London, and last September, her life forever changed. She was coming back from work on the train, and it was raining. She lost her footing and ended up falling down the gap between the platform and the train onto the tracks. Nobody saw her. The train departed, and another one came. While she was caught on the tracks, her injuries should have been fatal, she should have died many times over that night, but she didn't. She fought, and she's nothing short of a miracle. Sarah lost her arm and her leg um, and is in the process of getting her prosthetics and learning through her new reality. I read about her story initially on LinkedIn and reached out to her, and we spoke with her a month ago and got acquainted and we're thrilled to have her talk with our listeners today. John, I'd like you to say hello to Sarah Delagarde. Hey, Sarah. Good morning. Well, good afternoon to you. And I'm really honored to have you join us today. Very special story. So a really good story for our audience to hear. Thank you. Hi, thank you very much for having me both. Uh, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you. Yeah, Sarah, we're... We're really, really um, pleased that you accepted our invitation, and we know that you've talked, uh, you know, about your story at length. But you know, I know there's some people that don't know the story, so it's such a great example of, you know, life kind of changing in an instant. Um, you know, you're sleeping on a train one moment, and 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 then you fell. Would you mind just kind of sharing the story? Of course, in your, in your own words, of course. And you know what? You're, you're absolutely right in saying that I have spoken about my my experience uh, a few times over now. But I feel that every time that I tell the story, it helps me in my recovery. It helps me in my acceptance of what happened. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm OK talking about it. And um, so in essence, on Friday, the 30th of September, I was on my um, way home from work. It was slightly later than usual. We were working on a on a on a on a few projects, so I left fairly um, fairly late that night. And initially, I wanted to take a cab to go home, but um, what happens in London when it rains is that all the cabs are taken and you wait forever. And so I made that decision, that life changing decision. This is the sliding doors moment where I thought, okay, I'm going to take the tube uh, and go home that way. Um, I was very tired on my commute home. And uh, I had this moment where I thought, I'm just going to rest my eyes for two minutes. 
but I woke up at the end of the line having missed my stop. And I ran out of the train, realized I was in the wrong station, wanted to go back and lost my footing. And as you mentioned before, got sucked into um, the, the space between the platform and the train. The train departed and uh, unfortunately took my, my, my right arm and my right leg with it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You're... What's amazing about your story, Sarah, is the number of times I've heard it on, um, I think I saw it on the BBC and some other, you've done quite a few interviews. You always talk about the gratitude that you feel. Could you kind of share with us what 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 that means to you? Yes, it's I think it's a it's a very conscious decision that I make every day when I wake up. So when something like this happens, there's a whole uh, range of emotions that you feel every day. And uh, one overwhelming emotion is that of gratitude. And that is because I could have died so many times that night, and yet I didn't. I clung on to dear life. I made it. And now everything I see is 10 times more beautiful than before because I'm here, because I could have not seen it. And every morning when I wake up, I make that conscious decision and saying, of course, I have emotions uh, that range from anger and bitterness and disappointment. All of these feelings are there. But I choose in order to be able to, to live, I choose to put those feelings aside. I deal with them on a regular basis. I have um, I have weekly sessions with a psychologist who helps me. But that's where those emotions go. The rest of the time, it's gratitude and and being positive and grateful. Now, Sarah, I mean, quite frankly, you're a living miracle because I think part of what we should add to the story is um, you were down on the tracks for like 15 minutes and nobody knew you were down there, from what I understand. You were yelling for help. And then even a second train came past you and finally somebody heard you got out of the so it could have been you could have been in there 20 25 minutes without an arm without a leg and when you were in those desperate moments of survival even the doctors thought you were a living miracle so what do you think helped you survive during that crisis I remember falling onto the onto the, the the gravels just next to the tracks, and I remember thinking, "I should not be here. I'm on my way home to see my family. My I've got two daughters, an eight year old and a twelve year old, and that feeling of not not wanting to be there was so, so strong. The feeling that I wanted to go home and be with my daughters was so, so strong. And uh, and as I, I was lying there, I knew that something really bad had happened to my right side. I couldn't quite identify you know, how, how, how big the trauma was, but I knew I was in trouble. But it was so clear in my mind's eye that my two daughters were looking at me saying, mom, you need to come home. <laughs> and that was the driving force, really. Yeah, I think you also talked about, and we're going to transition into, you know, your background as a global communications uh, head for your company. Um, but I think you shared at one time that in those moments of stress, you have to really calm your blood pressure down and calm your heart rate down. And that the doctors might have owned your survival to the fact that you were able to calm yourself down in such a tragic moment. That is absolutely correct. I mean, for me, it was really important in that moment to instinctively adapt to the situation. I managed to stay calm, not panic. I did I did a, a couple of steps while I was lying on the on on the ground. I I remember I lost my my mobile phone. I could see it on the tracks. It was dark, but it had a, a neon orange casing, which came in quite handy um, that night because I could see it. I managed to shuffle um, over to 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 retrieve it, and in my head I thought, "This is great. I'm going to be able to call for help." But sadly, 
the 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 facial recognition software didn't work because mm-hmm. it didn't recognize me. I had a broken nose and 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 two broke broken front teeth. Um, it, I tried to type in the code, but again, it didn't recognize my my digits because the phone was wet. It was still raining, and so it was very clear for me that I had Plan A, that was to call for help. Nobody heard me. Plan B was to use the phone. That didn't work. And I remember thinking, right, okay, really calmly back to plan A. That's the only thing I can do now as I can't move. Um, I still have my voice and this is how I'm, I'm going to call for help. It's amazing. You're, um, prior to your accident, um, you um, were and probably just knowing your story, you will still be and forevermore very, very goal-oriented. And and there's some amazing things that you accomplished uh, before this accident, like hiking Kilimanjaro. Um, So you have this disposition prior to this of kind of pushing through things. Um, I assume that was probably an asset for you. Um, Did any of that come into your thinking? Absolutely. Uh, There was a moment where I got really angry lying on the floor thinking, oh, my gosh, a month before I had successfully climbed Kilimanjaro with my husband. And it was really, really hard. We took the long route. We spent eight days climbing up there, sleeping in a tent for that amount of time (laughs) was was a real challenge. And the last piece going from base camp to summit was so so difficult. It's you, you get up at midnight. You have a just a you know headlamp, head torch, and you ascend. It's windy. It's minus twenty degrees Celsius. It's quite cold, and uh, and it's in the dark. And I remember that I did this this meditation thing. I thought I'm going to go very slowly, but I'm also going to um, relax my my heartbeat. Um, travel in my mind to all of these unresolved issues that I may have had in my life before, just really thought that through. And I was in such a positive mindset that I thought, it's okay. And when the guide said, all right, um, it's going to be, we'll, we'll, we'll summit in about three hours. My reaction to this was, oh, great. In three hours, I'm going to say the sun, the sunrise. My husband, who was feeling the opposite, who slipped into a very negative mindset because he was you know, struggling with with um, with the lack of oxygen. When he heard that, he thought, "Oh no, another three hours to go. I will never be able to do that." So, so mindset is really key to everything, right? And and I'm pretty sure that I was able to uh, transfer that in a in a moment of crisis. And do you think, even in those endeavors, you know, you learn how to push through pain? And to emotionally deal with the unknown of the future ahead, like, is it going to be three hours? Is it going to be five hours? Is it going to be dark? Am I going to trip? All those types of things that can go into your mind because of the unknown. Do you believe that you're now able to draw on those past experiences as you go through the recovery phase also? Yes, there is a innate confidence that you gain by, by, by pushing through such an adventure is that I had a whole new respect for for my body and the way that it's put together and the way it's so resistant uh, and able to achieve something that uh, grand. And I was equally surprised by my body um, post that accident is that it repaired itself so quickly, so flawlessly. Now, of course, I you know my 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 arm and, and leg are not going to grow again, but I've healed so quickly. And I was able to, you know, get into rehab quite quite quickly. Was able to learn how to walk again quite quickly. The accident before, was four months ago. It's amazing. The accident was four months ago. Um, before uh, we talk about your recovery, I I just want to highlight the fact. I think you were telling us that um, the doctors were actually astounded, and they asked you, um, you know, how what did you you must have done something to because normally uh people would just not survive though that traumatic of an injury and i think you shared with them your how you slowed your heart rate down and and 
it's uh, just amazing the timing of doing Kilimanjaro um, just a few months before. And, um, and it, talk about that a little bit when you, when you shared that with them. Yeah, I, I think the experience that I had climbing Kilimanjaro really helped me survive all of the different aspects of that night. So survived the, the time that I spent on the track. I remember um, the adrenaline kicking in quite quickly. I mean, it's amazing what your body does. I, I couldn't feel any pain, which is astounding, considering that my right arm was crushed above the elbow and my uh, right leg was crushed below the knee. And even the fact that I managed to sl slow down my heartbeat helped me to survive because I didn't, I didn't lost that much blood in essence. And, um, and I think the, 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 I, I received the feedback from the doctors that, you know, when they transported me to the, to the hospital, um, I was lying really, really still on the stretcher to a point where the, the paramedics were slightly worried about my my state. But I was just lying there and saying, no, I'm fine. Um, just one ask. You need to contact my husband and tell him where I am. And um, <laughs> and they they I they apparently asked me for his phone number and I couldn't remember it. Like nobody remembers anyone's phone numbers these yeah, days. Right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Yes. Now in your recovery, um, talk to us about kind of where you are at in your recovery with, you know, the journey for your prosthetics. I know you've drummed up incredible support uh, for the journey. Um, and I think um, you're also, you highlighted to us the unique um, modality of the uh, emergency uh, crew or the setup that that actually came to you. Talk a little bit about that and also the fundraising. Right. So starting off with the fundraising, that was the the idea of my husband. Um, I was really worried when I realized that I would need a prosthetic arm and a leg, and I realized quite quickly that there's a there's a very high cost attached to this. Uh, our NHS, the National Health Insurance. Um, service here in, in the UK is very generous and uh, and supportive, but there is a limit to what they can do, and especially for an, an arm prosthetic, there's there's a high cost attached to that. So when we launched a GoFundMe page, I couldn't believe it. I we we set the target so high, I thought we would not even get to half of it, and within two and a half weeks, we reached our target and. I was absolutely blown away by the support that I received from friends, family, colleagues, um, and strangers. Absolutely unbelievable. So, Sarah, in that GoFundMe page, which we'll list in the show notes here, you have drummed up enough money, you believe, for your arm. Have you drummed up enough money also for the leg? Yes, I think I think the costs, yeah, the cost will be will be balanced there. There's a higher price tag attached to the to the arm, and that's because it's a lot more complicated to replicate. Um, right. the, the the leg is quite mechanic in 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 execution, but the replicating a fully functioning hand is is really quite um, difficult. And and I have actually met the CEO of a company called Covey, who manufactures, you know, designs, create, creates designs and manufactures um, bionic hands. And uh, and I met him last week, and he showcased some of the hands that they that they had uh, designed, and it's incredible. Absolutely, I mean, in my head, prior to the accident, I thought, you know. This is probably something that lives in the future, but actually the future is here. It is now. And I, I, I saw it. That's incredible. That's incredible. Now you also said that um, if I recall the way that you were transported, the, the, the way that um, medics showed up to you is, was kind of a unique situation, at least for um, Johnny and I listening to that there um, you, you, oh. you've been highlighting that um, as something that, was a game changer in your survival. Yes, the way that the air ambulance operates is that 
they um, they get the distress call straight from our uh, emergency line. So when somebody calls 999, that's what it is here, um, the distress call gets routed straight to uh, the air ambulance when something um, when something like a uh, person under the train is mentioned. And so they triage that call straight away. They have a helicopter service that flies out to um, the place of, of, of accident, but it's not just a transport patients. They actually have an integrated mini operating theater where, where they have a doctor on board, they have a paramedic, they have most of the, the, the drugs on board that are needed to treat patients on site. Because they the, the the research that they've done or the experience that they had is some patients are so you know badly injured that transporting them to a hospital they might not make it in the end. Yeah. And so being able to treat patients on site has massively increased their survival rate, as it did for me, because um, they managed to pull me out from underneath the train onto a stretcher, gave me pain relief straight away, were able to scan my body for further injuries, were able to stop the bleeding, you know, put the put the tourniquet on both uh, both my leg and my arm, and so increased my survival rate, well, to 100% because I'm here. <laughs> wow. And didn't your accident also cause them to add even more resources to the essentially, you know, hospital helicopter? Well, the, the the astonishing thing is that the um, the air ambulance operates as a charity, and okay. uh, and they were hoping to have a second helicopter to be able to deploy more forces um, to help um, people in in traumatic accidents. And so, the part of the GoFundMe um, um, raising fundraising was to support that that charity as well. Okay, so on that GoFundMe page that you have, Sarah, are some of the monies also going to a second air ambulance? That's right. Okay, great. Okay, so we'll, we'll try to spell that out in the uh, in the show notes also. Hey, Sarah, I wanted to make a transition to your background and um, how that might have also played a role. So your background is in crisis communication Specifically, where you're the global head of corporate communications for Janice Henderson Investments. Now, in the global communications, you know, many times you're under tremendous last minute stress, right? Because companies come to you at the last minute with a crisis and they're looking at you like, okay, now what do we say? What do we tell the public? Uh, in other words, um, you know, with a crisis, your job is to be the level head in the room. As you talked about before, calm your blood pressure down, get your heart rate down. Be calm because calm creates calm. Do you think that a lot of that training also helped you in the moment? I think so. I think so because, strangely enough, I applied some of the tactics that I use in my job. I applied them as I was there, and that is, you know, take a deep breath, assess your situation, assess what the consequences are, what you need to do in order to get out of that situation. And that's how I started thinking structurally. Plan A, plan B, this is not working, back to plan A. But it was very much unemotional and, yeah, just really calm and determined and that yeah i can i can totally see that uh being applied to my job as well yeah and, and today um sarah just to educate the audience it's not like you sit there for a week or a month and then some you know communications crisis happens these days with social media and a whole bunch of other things that can be have an effect on a corporation can you educate the audience a little bit more as to what goes into, you know, the global head of corporate communications? We've never had someone like you on the on the show to explain exactly what that job entails. 
Yes, I, I'm happy to to clarify the, the the job. I mean, when I started working in the industry about 20 years ago, corporate communications was very different. It sat, it was branded as public relations and sat within marketing. And yes. it sat within you know, the four P's of marketing, uh, it sat under promotion. And so that role has evolved so much over the past 20 years, uh, going from something that was very calculated as part of a marketing setup has morphed now to a role that feeds directly into the C-suite that is um, as close to the CEO and CFO as possible because the the environment has changed, the, the need for communication has changed. And you touched on that actually by saying, you know, there are some influence Influences, outside influences um, that could uh, require the company to come out with a message. Yes. So, for example, 20 years ago, companies were, were never asked to have an opinion on something outside of their industry. They, they, they weren't uh, or they, they weren't supposed to be politic, politically affiliated. Um, they didn't have to take a stance on you know, women's women's rights or uh, on Black Lives Matters, like all of these different um, circumstances 20 years ago were, were just not there, but today they are. And how do you, um, how, what, you know, you've noticed over the last several years in the United States, we're noticing here too, is that, you know, there are like you said, certain topics that come up that um, companies did not have to weigh in on, but the um, it's not just the outside influence to the company. It's also the inside, you know, the employees that have a high expectation and kind of managing those expectations. I know it's very, very difficult for companies. So how, how do you, how do you do all that? So it's a two-pronged approach. One, you start off with um, speaking to senior management and finding out what the overall objectives are, the business objectives for the company. And there's a lot of value in educating all employees about that. The, the, the need for transparency has increased over the last 20 years so much that employees no longer just want to have a job where they are told uh, of their daily activities. They want to know why they're working for the company, what the overall purpose of the company is, how they, by working in that comp company, contribute to the overall picture, whether it is you know, with a environmental um, angle or a political angle or just you know, a humanitarian angle. People want a little bit more than just doing their job. And how do you differentiate between corporate communications and um, crisis communication? Is there a difference or is it the same? So I tend to, to wrap that in to the overall role. So communications split up would be internal communication. So that's you know, increasing the transparency and the understanding for employees as to why they work in this company and how they can be more um, efficient and 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 working together. Then public relations is the relationship between the company and journalists and uh, news anchors and opinion uh, makers, influencers. That would be public relations. It um, easily spills over into social media, which is um, sharing messaging from a company to audiences on LinkedIn, for example. And then there is another part is a company will always go through change. There is no, no company that is completely static all of the time. There's always um, a HR change at senior level that will have an impact on clients uh, or on share price or on shareholders or on employees. And so those changes 
I call them business as usual because they they are recurrent. They come. People don't stay in a company forever. There's always some some movement at that level. Um, so that's change communication. It could also be uh, product related, for example, or you know, a firm that decides to do a merger or an acquisition. That would all be wrapped into that change communication um, segment. And then crisis slightly sits apart because it doesn't luckily happen too often. Um, it might help if I if I determine what crisis means. Um, it was um, it was funny when I was lying in the hospital and uh, the nurses would ask me, "Oh, but Sarah, what is your job? What do you do?" And I would say, "Well, I do all of this and crisis communications." And he said, "Oh, what's that?" And then I realized that crisis in a hospital is not the same thing as crisis in a in a corporate organization. Yeah. <laughs> so, in a hospital, it would be you know a life and death situation, whereas in a company, it, it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, that helps put it into perspective. And don't in corporate communications, don't you also have some plans for things that have not occurred yet, but could possibly occur? For instance, like a cybersecurity attack and what are we going to say? How are we going to calm it down? What are we going to say internally, externally? Those types of plans are probably, from what I understand, already in place to the degree they can be in place just so you're not scrambling at the last minute. Absolutely. You're right. Preparation is everything. And part of our job is to predict things that haven't happened yet, as you said. So cyber attack, definitely on the list. Um, I've spent so many hours in my career planning for things that hopefully never happens. And that could be natural disasters. That could be terrorist attack. And that could be a global pandemic. And I remember thinking when the COVID pandemic started and we had to take drastic action, um, that part of me had a little bit of excitement because finally, after you know almost 20 years of working in the industry, finally, you know, I was able to execute on something that we always had in theory. It was a weird sentiment, though. I, I yeah, I have to clarify that. It was just the pure professional excitement. And how do you get the, I can't imagine that preparedness works without the alignment and the buy-in of the entire executive team. And when executives are working on day-to-day things and you are trying to get, you and your team are trying to get awareness and uh, coalesce around preparation and planning for things that have not happened and may not happen. How, how do you do that? How, what's the operating rhythm for that? There needs to be a lot of trust to start off with. That's um, essential. And a, to a degree, there is a piece of education as well, is to make sure that everybody on an go on an executive committee or uh, management committee understands that these situations exist, that they could happen. And in order to ensure that there is minimal impact, there is a certain um, procedure to follow. And so for me, it was quite easy to convince um, senior management and all of the different uh, companies that I worked at, because in some ways it had already happened and had a negative outcome. And so coming in and saying, I've got a solution to your problem, even if that problem hasn't happened yet, it reassures everyone. And for companies that don't have corporate communication teams, I'm going to ask kind of a two-pronged question here. So for companies that don't have, um, you know, the resources like um, like you've built, uh, what advice would you you know, give them around when the stuff hits the fan, you know, kind of what are, what are the first steps to, you know, to, to, to make sure that people are informed that there's, or that there's a plan. And the second approach is for the individual. Is there a way to break this down at the individual level for like, I have a team and something happens on my team and I'm kind of balancing 
you know, addressing it quickly um, without making a mistake. So how do I make sure that I don't go too quickly, gather the right information? So the first question was around not having a corporate team. And then next one, if you could break it down to at the individual level. So my advice for the companies that don't have a dedicated corporate communications team is um, education. It's, it's realizing that we live in a world now where information travels at lightning speed. You know, we have a 24 hours news cycle, any you know reaction, and if everything is filmed in some way, people are armed with, with cameras. So um, that's a reality that everyone needs to be aware of. And while most of the time it will be positive or neutral, there are some instances where it could really um, be detrimental to the business. And so that awareness is key. So that's the first thing. The second thing is a communication within the company is to say, if something happens that we as a company feel very uncomfortable with, who is the SWAT team that we're going to pull together? And I do this, um, you know, at, at, at a corporate level, uh, I always think about who do I need to tell about this issue? Who needs to know and who is going to help solve the issue? And that could be, you know, the CEO, the CFO, the, 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 the engineer, the, the person that is closest to the problem and the person who's able to, um, to communicate about the problem and who would be able to resolve it. And to your second part of the, 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 the question, the way, the way that it works is my advice is always when the, the problem comes to you, do not panic is to just really take a deep breath and think about what are we dealing with at this stage, identifying what the problem is, then thinking about the impact of that issue. How far reaching is it? Um, the first thought would be, are, are the employees safe and are our clients impacted? So that's always the, the, the thinking there. And then from that on, think about the team that you need to pull together, the SWAT team. You know, is it a person in HR? Is it a, a legal assistance that we need? Uh, do we need somebody in compliance to join the, 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 the team? And once, we, once, once you've identified that, that's already half of the job um, because together you can discuss what next, what's the approach, um, is the media... Uh, aware and contacting you and wanting a statement? Um, do we need to alert our clients about whatever happened? Um, how do we communicate this to employees? So as you can tell, like this is, this is, I'm very passionate about the job. I, yeah. I feel that, you know, there isn't a problem that I wouldn't be able to solve. I know that, you know, I, I, enjoy very much the trust of, of, of senior people. Um, I'm very discreet, but I'm also very focused on outcomes. I am a problem solver at heart. And so everything that can happen to a company, I basically have a solution for. Hey, Sarah, I want to transition back to a theme that comes through in a lot of our podcasts. It's it's the theme of resilience. So we've had Navy SEALs on. We've had a Hall of Fame golfer that was paralyzed for life. And we had some everyday people that, you know, just had to be very resilient. And you have to be very resilient, especially in this ever-changing world, because you never know what, you know, life is going to throw at you. And you, to me, are the epitome of resilience as you move on from your accident and your everyday recovery efforts. But what I want to ask is you knew about resilience before, even like, you know, killing, killing, you know, climbing Kilimanjaro, but have you learned anything new about resistant resilience as you, you know, maneuver through your new, new reality? Does it mean anything different to you? Just curious. 
I think I've got a um, a new perspective on life. I think before I was trying to do a lot and I was trying to run and and I, f- I always felt like time was running out for, for me. And since the accident, I've, my new perspective is sometimes taking your time to make a decision, slow down a little bit, don't spread myself too thinly because you know, at the moment I I have returned to work uh, on a part-time basis for now um, just to ease myself back into work. It's been emotional, but it's been absolutely refreshing. I, I, I can't not work. I, it's so ingrained in, in my personality. It's, it's helping me overcome some of the pains that I carry on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. So do you feel like you're living more in the moment now than like what you said, where you're running constantly to the, into the future, but you never, and I'm guilty of it myself. I'm sure Johnny Kaplan's been guilty of it. I'm guilty of it a lot. Not taking the time to really enjoy and live in the moment. Yeah. And because one of the things that I've always found out is I stress about the future but no matter whatever happens, I've always accomplished what I wanted to in that time frame. <laughs> so I always ask myself, why did I stress about it so much? Why didn't I just enjoy the moment and enjoy the journey? Right? Yes. Enjoying, enjoying the journey. Yeah. Enjoying the journey is definitely something that I discovered climbing Kilimanjaro. It was not about reaching the top, although that was a cherry on top, but it was really the whole journey, the eight days that it took to get there. That for me was so important. The guides that we had, um, they are from Tanzania. They've climbed that mountain a hundred times over. And they always told me and my husband from the start, take it slowly. Don't rush up there. Sometimes you feel like it's easy terrain, but let that not fool you. Take your time have, you know, take secure steps. And they they have a, a saying for this, it's pole pole, and it really means slowly, slowly. And they repeat that all the time. And I remember getting really frustrated in rehab, thinking, I really want to go and get up and run and jump and do all of these things. And I remember, well, actually, no, if you want to do this right, you have to take your time. There are no shortcuts. You have mm-hmm. to just just go and accept it. And while you accepted, you realize, actually, I could worry about the future a lot. I do worry about the future a lot. I'm terrified of aging, you know, with 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 that double amputation. It, it just can't be great. I know that. But at the same time, I push that to the side because I'm living now. And when I live now, I notice the small things. I notice, you know, how smooth the skin of my daughters is so you know i've done that a lot touching you know cuddling them touching their 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 smooth faces you know caressing their their soft hair just being there wanting to find out what they worry about at the moment how i can support them we have lovely chats every day where we focus on the things that happen on the day it's amazing pretty big goals like climbing Kilimanjaro and stuff. And I know you're going through a huge rehabilitation effort, but has the incident changed any of your past goals or helped you set new goals for yourself, your family? And have you thought that through? Is it still too early? I, I do. Part of me did. Part of me does think that I would love to go back to Kilimanjaro and climb that mountain again. I was going to ask you that. (laughs) I would go for it. You got to do it. I really, because I, it was so amazing. The trip out there was amazing. And I would just, yeah, I would just love to do it again. I'm not sure if my husband will be too keen to join me. It sounds like he was holding you back last time. So, <laughs> oh, I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that he is no. absolutely my right hand man. Like literally he is my yeah. hand because you know, when you're missing, it's really life without two hands is, has got its limitations. So 
you know, for example, dinner time, I can't cut up my steak because I can't hold the knife. And so my husband, you know, lends me his hand in order to do that. And he's been nothing, nothing but amazing um, and very supportive, but also very positively minded. So not just, you know, Kilimanjaro, but today I was, we were talking about, I, I would like, I would love to go skiing. And we talked about, you know, next year, we'll give it a try. See, I should be able to do it. Nothing yeah. is impossible, apparently. And so that that would be another goal. <laughs> Sarah, most of our listeners actually listen to this on the multiple podcast outlets. Um, if you get a chance for our listeners, um, I want you to take a look at this YouTube video because all of your answers um are said with a smile you're having a massive impact on me with every answer as you recall your trauma your you say it with a smile as you recall your uh your journey or your present day struggles and things that you're fearful of you say it with a smile it's just it's really really impactful a couple of things i'm taking away when you said the gratitude piece, I was actually thinking about, and I wonder if you had heard this before, is that um, they found that um, gratitude, no other emotion can share space in the brain with gratitude. Um, the minute you, the minute you um, bring gratitude into your thinking, all other emotions have to exit. And it's just the way that God designed us. It's it's really amazing. I wonder if in your recovery you you have you have experienced that. I have experienced that, but I have also experienced an expanse of love. The feeling of love is yeah. a lot a bigger than before. My heart has grown a lot bigger than before, and that you know, and and being able to tell people uh, about the emotions that that we have. So being able to tell people that I love them is, it's probably part of the gratitude piece overall, but yeah, that that's been incredible. That's awesome. And there's another one called the psychological immune system. These are all just coming up for me as I'm listening to your story, psychological immune system that we're all born with, but most of us don't know how to tap into. It's the it's the understanding that we've been through very, very difficult things in the past. And when things happen in the future, you actually have the ability to have antibodies, meaning that you, if you can tap into it, like you're saying skiing or what have you, like, of course, like I, I've been through, if I've been through this, I can, you know, in, in the psychological immune system actually helps you because it says it's never going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. Um, and the data actually shows that, which is really powerful. I just have those two big, actually a third big takeaway is living in the present. Um, do you have other things that you're noticing that when people get into a conversation with you, that you're actually helping the people that you're getting in a conversation with They're They're the ones that are trying to, you know, maybe comfort you or have a conversation with you and they walk away changed. Have you noticed that? I, I, yes, I've received a few messages from people who have heard the story who said, you know, you've helped me change. You've helped me realize the, the gift that is our lives. I think we never realize how close to death we get sometimes, right? I'm pretty sure we skirt accidents all day long and we don't we don't realize it. And now I know that something as mundane as taking, you know, a, the tube to go home can be life-threatening. And so instead of fearing everything, because that could have been an outcome from this accident, I'm fearless now. I feel, okay, I have managed to survive this i can now pretty much survive everything that's um that confidence that i now have in my body and you talked about psych the the psychological immune immunity i yes. i feel that that's extended to to my 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 physical body as well to be able to 
and it's really strange the 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 way that we underestimate the ability that our bodies have to heal themselves i i very distinctively remember being in hospital and um, being very hungry and i was eating so much and i could feel that every bite was traveling through my body and there was uh, a heat in the areas that i was injured and i could wow. really feel the energy that my body was taking was directly redirected into the, the 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 parts of my body that needed that extra help i i really felt that that was uh, that was quite extraordinary and yeah it 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 increases your confidence mm-hmm. i i also remember that I, I spoke on live TV um, shortly after the accident, actually. And I remember speaking to my mom the night before and she was like, oh, my gosh, are you not so scared to do this? I thought, no, not really. I mean, no. <laughs> once you get once you survive two, tra- two trains, there's not much that can actually yeah. get you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sarah, I want to say. Thank you so much. But I also want to talk about another common theme that runs through our many of our podcasts. It's where people can choose to be a victim or a victor. And also where some people see the world as limited, while others see it as having an abundance to offer. And listening to your story and you and your attitude you're a clear example of someone that lives what I call above the line as a victor and one that understands that this world holds an abundance of opportunities for you and your family in the future. So bless you, Sarah. Thanks so much for sharing your story with our audience. Bless you. Thank you so much for having me on, on your, on your podcast. That's, as I said in the beginning, talking about the experience is not just helping me accept what happened, but hopefully it inspires other people to, as you say, try not to be a victim, try to see that there are so many opportunities that our lives um, present to us. And sometimes you just got to say yes. Yes. Yeah, Sarah, I, um, I was inspired when I read the original LinkedIn post. I'm more inspired and really humbled by your story. And and honored that you came and shared it with us on the podcast. And and I would just say to you, Godspeed for your continued recovery. You are an amazing, amazing individual. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank you, Sarah. And thanks to our audience for listening to another episode of The Revenue Builder. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.